to be said that I wasn't the only one doing this. Elsewhere, in the small stone-clad chamber, my colleagues Lockwood, George and Holly were also on hands and knees. We had our heads low, our noses near the flagstones. We swept our candles close to walls and floor. Occasionally, we stopped to press fingertips into suspicious nooks and crannies. Otherwise, we worked in silence. We were looking for the entrance to a grave. Do you lot have to bend over like that? A voice asked. It's making my eyes water. A thin, red-haired young man was sitting above us on a granite block in the centre of the room. Like the rest of our raiding party, he was all in black. In his case, whopping big boots, skinny jeans and a roll-neck top. Unlike the rest of us, he had an enormous pair of bulbous goggles clamped around his face, giving him the look of a startled grasshopper. His name was Quill Kipps. He was readying our tomb-cracking equipment, laying out crowbars and coils of rope on the surface of the stone. He was also keeping watch, blinking at the shadows. His goggles allowed him to spot ghosts if any were around. See anything, Quill? That was Lockwood, dark hair hanging over his face. He picked with his penknife at a gap between the flagstones. Kipps lit an oil lamp, tilting the shutters so that the light stayed low. With you in that position, I've seen plenty, particularly when Cubbins hoves into view. It's like watching a beluga swimming by. I meant ghosts. No ghosts yet, apart from our tame one. He tapped a large glass jar perched alongside him on the block. Green light flared evilly within, and a spectral face of unusual hideousness materialized, moving closer through a vortex of ectoplasm. Tame? A disembodied voice that only I could hear spoke in indignation. Tame? Let me out of here, and I'll show that scrawny idiot how tame I am. I sat back on my heels, brushing my fringe out of my eyes. Best not call the school tame, Kips, I said. It doesn't like it. The face in the jar bared serrated teeth. Too right I don't, Lucy. Tell that boggle-eyed fool that if I was out of this prison, I'd suck the flesh off his bones and dance a hornpipe with his empty skin. You just tell him that. Is it offended? Kipps asked me. I can see that horrid mouth moving. Tell him, I hesitated. Don't worry, I said. It's fine, really. It's cool with it. What? No, I'm not. And what's he doing tapping my glass like I'm some kind of goldfish? I swear, when I get free of this, I'm going to catch Kips and pull off his... Lockwood, I said, tuning out the ghost. Are you sure there's a trapdoor in here? We haven't got much time. Anthony Lockwood straightened. He was kneeling in the centre of the floor, one hand holding his penknife, the other running distractedly through his hair. As usual, our leader was impeccably dressed. He wore a dark jersey instead of his long coat and soft-soled pumps instead of his normal shoes. These were his only concessions to the demands of breaking and entering a national monument. You're right, Luce. Lockwood's pale, thin face was as relaxed as ever. 
but his brow had an elegant kink in it that told me he was concerned. It's been ages, and there's still no sniff of it. What do you reckon, George? With a scuffling, George Cubbins levered himself up into view from behind the granite block. His black T-shirt was dirty, his glasses askew, his pale hair spiked and matted with sweat. For the last hour, he'd been doing the exact same thing as the rest of us, but somehow he'd contrived to get completely covered in a layer of dust, mouse droppings and cobwebs that no one else had even seen. Such was George's way. All the accounts of the burial mention a trapdoor, he said. We're just not looking hard enough, particularly Kipps, who isn't looking at all. Hey, I'm doing my job, Kip said. The question is...